Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch Doctor Who, and then I tell you all about it. So this is uh, the third episode that we're recording this holiday break, a couple days after the uh, two that we recorded already on this break. So... We, we were getting pretty close to the line um, in our backlog for a while. <laughs> now we're trying to build up uh, a little more breathing room for us so that we don't mm-hmm. feel so much pressure in uh, getting these all ready to go for our beloved listeners. This is a slightly unusual time to record, though. I guess it is our typical time of day, but it is not our typical day of the week. We usually record on Sundays, and today's a Tuesday because Benny and I are both taking the week off of work, so we are able to do that, which is nice. Yeah, it's the holidays. This is like the the one time of year when I'm pretty much guaranteed to always take at least a week. <laughs> I think usually two weeks off. I'm actually recording in a different room than usual because... I took this week off. This is currently the week between Christmas and New Year's, final week of 2020. And I took this week off, but my partner decided to take next week off instead. She's taking the first week of 2021 off. But because she's in our shared office space doing her actual job that gives her money and shit, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my hobby side project in a different room. (laughs) it's understandable you gotta you gotta balance those priorities Uh uh-huh yeah if if this were not an audio project i'd be doing it up in the office too but i don't want her to have to worry about not being in our background and stuff yeah yeah i mean like you said she's she's doing her actual job and as much as we love you listeners as much as we enjoy doing the doctor's watcher i think i think hobby side project is a pretty good uh way to, to describe this, this whole <laughs> setup um you know if i i don't necessarily expect this to ever happen but if we ever make any income from this project this is just kind of a little teaser for our listeners if we ever make any income from this podcast project and if that income is enough that Benny and I were to both be able to quit our day jobs, I bet we'd probably go up to one episode every week instead of every two weeks. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? All you have to do is give us like probably, you know, thousands of dollars. (laughs) Um, But it it all begins with five-star reviews. So regardless of giving us money or, you know, Patreons or merch or anything like that, if if you want more doctors watcher even you know realistically our t- every two week schedule um please leave us those five star reviews on iTunes they they really keep us going and uh help get the word out and hopefully people will see us and listen to us um and if you know you want to retweet our tweets from our official Doctor's Watcher Twitter account at Doctor Watcher or anything like that. Anything to get the word out of, about us, kind of give us the, the motivation to keep going and keep producing the podcast you love. 
Yeah, that is definitely the best way at the moment to support us is just, you know, tell us how awesome we are and tell your friends how awesome we are. Yes. <laughs> and why wouldn't you already be doing that? Indeed. I'm sure that you are, but keep, keep doing it and we appreciate it. We love you. Today, we are here to talk about the 34th episode of season one, which is titled A Race Against Death. Yes, we're back to those really good titles. We had a couple of okay titles, but now now I think that like race is always good. You know, mm -hmm. they fit the, the narrative structure perfectly because you've got like your um, protagonists, you know, your various... Uh, characters, your participants in the race, you've got preparing for the race, the actual race, the big climax at the end. You know, it's races are always good um, for for setting up stories. And, you know, and death, when, yeah, when your opponent is death, then yes, yeah, that's going to be quite the race. Say no more. <laughs> I'm sold. I am ready to go. So I think we only learned in like the past few minutes of the previous episode that death was actually going to be the opponent in the upcoming race. Do you recall what our Cliftangler was, Benny? Yeah. No, I, I should mention, I don't think this is going to be a literal race. Like, I don't think it's going to be <laughs> one of these, like, you know, everyone on the starting line. All right, there's the goal. You got to reach that finish line. And first, no, I don't think it's going to be anything like that. But but just the race concept is, is good. For yeah. Story. Um, okay, I'm I'm stalling, of course, to uh, <laughs> give myself more time to think about where our clip dangler was, because I've started editing our uh, our previous episode, <laughs> um, the first one that we recorded on Sunday. But then uh, our clip dangler was the one that we recorded after that, which was two days ago. And you think I would remember better? Because um, I think that um, the the sensorites want to take Susan and I think they want to they want to do something with her. I think they want to make her like stay forever or something. Um, or if they don't, then they'll put them all to death. I, I believe was the, uh, the cliff dangler. Uh, I think I that was the previous episode actually. Gosh, that's yeah. All that's right. the cliff dangler the, uh... for, for what you're currently editing. All right. right <laughs> hold on. Um, see so yeah, last, I last time my brain. <laughs> last time we ended hidden danger with uh of course our heroes are down on the planet now on the sense sphere and oh was it was it the um the engineer and the city administrator deciding to kill our dudes uh that's in the plot but not the cliff dangler i'm gonna stop guessing. please <laughs> tell us what the cliff dangler was <laughs> So we we get to the point where the doctor and Ian are trying to get some information from the first elder, also known as Old Two Sashes, mm. about this disease that's affecting the sensorites. And then all of a sudden, it seems that Ian is now being affected by the disease as well. Okay, okay. Now I remember. Uh, my brain was not doing such a good job of piecing it all together again and it's only been two days 
So we start off from that point. The doctor and Susan are obviously concerned about unconscious Ian and they're trying to figure out what happened to him. Mm -hmm. And the first elder says that this disease hits all manner of sensorites without any warning, but it never affects the elders. The doctor and Susan are both in agreement that like based on the symptoms that Ian is showing, it seems more like poison than a disease. And yeah, I think we've already like firmly established that it's the water that they're drinking. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. We, the viewers firmly established that at the end of the previous episode, but it's not until this point of this episode that the doctor and Susan actually realize, Oh shit. Ian drank the different water. And yeah. that's like the only, the only difference in what we've all been exposed to was the water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the doctor kind of explains this to the first elder and the first elder agrees that like, we're going to start serving crystal water to everybody now, not just the elders. Apparently they had enough to go around all along. <laughs> I feel like if this was another show, then right now I would think, um, oh, maybe the whole water thing was too obvious and it will turn out to be kind of a red herring and another thing is causing the uh, the illness. But this is Doctor Who. It's his children's show. It's pretty straightforward. I'm yeah. Sure that's it. Yeah, they don't really do that much on this this show. Yeah. Susan asks the first elder how long Ian has to live, basically. <laughs> and, Always good to know. Uh-huh. And the first elder reveals that nobody who has got this disease has survived longer than the third day. I'm surprised their civilization has even like stood up this long then. Cause from one drink of water, Ian's already unconscious. Right. He's got three days to live. I mean, maybe it hits humans faster than it hits the sensorites, but hmm. yeah. And like, this has been happening for years. Mm hmm. I guess it has been like increasing more and more sensorites to get sick each year, but but yeah, I think you've got a good point. They drink a lot of beer or something. <laughs> so at the reveal of like the three day time limit, the doctor is like As long as that, then we have time. I have chemicals and equipment on my ship. Return the lock, and I promise you, sir, I will not only cure my young friend, but all your people. The doctor's got one thing on his mind. He just wants to get back on his ship. <laughs> yeah, He's like, basically. Well, three days to live. That's so much time. Um, yeah, let me let me play around with my science lab. I'll, I'll worry about Ian. You know, when we've got like a um, couple hours. When, yeah, when two days and eighteen hours have passed. <laughs> so the first elder thinks about this for a moment and basically says that he wants to like talk it over with the second elder before deciding if the doctor gets access to the TARDIS or not. Yeah. And I get that the, uh, the first elder has two sashes cause more sashes are better, but I'm still a little like, I don't know, there's something about like first elder, elder number one, having two sashes, second elder, elder number two, having one sash, some part of my brain is still like tripped out by that whole thing. But yeah, I kind of thought about that a little sense. bit too. It makes sense. Yeah. Like 
it makes sense visually, but, but yeah, like calling the first elder old two sashes, even though it's his official nickname. Yes. Yeah. It's just a little bit confusing. It's, it's officially unofficially his nickname. <laughs> so the doctor, while old one sash and old two sash decide what they're going to do, the doctor asks one of the other sensorites to bring him some salt uh, of course, he uses the scientific term of sodium chloride, and he makes some salt water for Ian to drink. An old-fashioned remedy, but I'm sure it is Hmm. Which, yeah, I'd never heard of that before. I, yeah. But I guess I also don't have much experience with poison, so who knows? I'll, I'll take the doctor's word for it. He seems <laughs> trustworthy. His intelligence stat is very high, we've established. That's true. The scene ends with the doctor just kind of looking off into the distance and wondering. Will they let me into my ship? So we cut over to the discussion between the first and second elders. And the second elder, old One Sash, is really anti-human. Oh, jeez. Man, these, these aliens, I tell ya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's worried that Ian is only pretending to be sick to basically, like, give them a reason to let the doctor back into the TARDIS. Uh, well, I feel like in another episode they might have tried that, but... <laughs> but who knows what power he has in the ship? Once inside it, we may be at his mercy. I mean, it is the TARDIS. It's pretty rad. Yeah. The first elder, though, actually believes the doctor... And trusts him at this point. And the second elder, you know, is still not sure. So second elder says, The doctor may go away to fetch an army of human beings and a fleet of spaceships. Well, humans, yeah. Yeah. We, we do tend to go out and fetch the army. <laughs> the first elder's like, for real? And the second elder's like, just saying. So first elder decides... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to just think about it some more. Hmm. Okay. Um, I suspect you were paraphrasing there, but <laughs> you, you said it in a, with such conviction that I wasn't sure for a second. We cut over to the laboratory, and in the lab, the sensorites lab, I should clarify, not the TARDIS lab, mm -hmm. there is a scientist, right? Nice. Who is working on John. Uh, John is like sitting in a chair. He's got like a bunch of electrodes and shit all attached to his head. Cool. And the city administrator comes in and is like, what the fuck are you doing? And the scientist is like, I'm curing this dude just like I was told to do by the elders. Fair. Fair. Yeah. He's just doing his job. Yeah. Second elder shows up at this point and basically like tells the scientist to leave. So the scientist leaves the room and as soon as the scientist's right is gone, old one sash starts just really ripping into the city administrator about like how insolent and unrespectful of authority he is. And but aren't city, they on the same side? Like don't they both dislike humans at this point? Um, well, I think the second elder at this point is, like, 
he's leaning towards distrusting humans. But the city administrator is just like flat out 100% anti-human racist. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the city administrator is definitely like uh, a few steps further than the second elder down that road. Okay. Okay. So he's ripping into the administrator about his insolence and disrespect. And the city administrator is just like, look, dude. You elders are only in charge of the whole planet, but I have to keep this whole fucking city safe, and I'll do what it takes. Yeah, dude. <laughs> we do learn kind of an interesting bit of trivia in this scene, which is that the Sensorites haven't really developed name technology, which we mm. know is something that humans developed way back in the one with the cave people times. Yeah, I mean, it, it predates pronouns. Yeah. But we, we learn this because the second elder mentions something about the other human. And the city administrator asks him which one. And the second elder says, The one known as Ed Chesterton. To which the city administrator replies, These absurd names they all have. None of them wear any signs of authority or badges of position. How are we to distinguish them? All humans look the same to me. I, I love that, considering that all sensorites actually do look the same. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was pretty great. But is that okay for me to say? I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> the city administrator thinks that the whole idea that the sensorites' water supply is poisoned is... A brilliant scheme. Evil, but undoubtedly brilliant. He thinks that the doctor is lying to them in order to, I guess, get them to lose confidence in their infrastructure, essentially. In order to drive up sales of crystal water? <laughs> he says, This is a trick to get us at the embassy! Of course, this whole conversation is taking place still in the laboratory, where, you know, space zombie John is still, like, sitting there with all these electrodes on his head, theoretically being de-space-zombified. Mm -hmm. And John starts calling the city administrator evil. Evil. But the city administrator is like... So he's just sitting there, like, saying the word evil, evil? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I say that he's being de-space-zombified, but it's definitely, like, in process. He's... Still got, you know, some space zombie in him. Mm. Okay, so he, he's not even like, you are evil, or that is evil. He's just like, evil. Yeah, just the word evil. Evil. And the city administrator is like, you know, see, even even this dude here is telling us that, that they're evil. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Sure, all right. Why not? So, second elder, old one sash seems convinced and he heads off to warn to sash about what what's going on or what they think is going on all righty good luck with that mm -hmm. of course john actually knows that like the city administrator is evil and is the enemy and like he he wants to warn the other humans but then he just passes out Life's tough when you're a former space zombie. <laughs> Carol shows up at the lab, and she starts asking how John is doing, 
before realizing that this sensorite who is present in the lab is the city administrator and not the scientist. He is like, what the fuck? Can you see my fucking collar? A scientist wouldn't wear the fucking city administrator collar. Yeah, dude, respect the signs of, of authority or position or whatever these are. Uh-huh. Carol's like, Yes, I'm sorry, but when your backs are turned, it's very difficult to see. I don't know what we'd all do if you changed your badges and sashes. We wouldn't be able to tell you apart. Oh, someone's giving someone ideas. Uh-huh, yeah, the city administrator says, I have never thought of that. Up in the corner, it says, city administrator will remember that. <laughs> Little light bulb turns on above his head as his HUD says, access badges and sashes in your codex. Yes. <laughs> we cut over to the first elder's reception room where the doctor is yelling at the first elder and Susan is telling the doctor to chill out because the loud noise is very clearly like painful and harmful to the sensorites. The doctor doesn't care because he's an asshole. Yep. Yeah, she has to like remind him like several times that he needs to like chill out and be quiet, tone it down a bit. But he really wants to get back into the TARDIS so he can work on saving Ian. He says, Just look at that young man. I've done all I can for him at the moment. Give him salt and water. He's been coughing his heart out. I must have chemicals and equipment. His death will be your fault and yours alone. Earlier he was like, we have three days, it's fine. But man, you don't let him get into his lab and he <laughs> is pissed. Uh-huh. I did think it was a little bit amusing that, like, I've given him salt and water was I've done everything I can. Uh, I mean, but, I think technically maybe it is. Yeah, it, it might be. But it sound, it does sound pretty uh, pretty lame. Yeah. Old two sashes is about to agree to let the doctor into the TARDIS. But then one sash shows up and the two of them communicate telepathically for a minute. We don't get to hear what they're saying, but we do know that they're communicating telepathically because they both hold their brain stethoscopes up to their brain. And we hear like the, the wavy whiny telepathic noise on the soundtrack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And after their telepathic conversation ends, the first elder tells the doctor that he will be allowed access to the sensorites lab, but not the TARDIS. That's actually a pretty fair compromise, given that they don't trust them anymore. Yeah, I thought so, too. Doctor doesn't agree, though, obviously. Well, he yeah. keeps yelling at them. <laughs> Uh, that does not surprise any of us, does it, listeners? Uh-huh. Yeah, the doctor keeps yelling. Sensorites are, like, reeling in pain. And Susan's like... We didn't mean to use sound as a weapon. We didn't even know sound hurt you. But I think the doctor knows that sound hurts them. I think he's just being an ass. Yeah, he just uh, doesn't care. We get a short scene of the city administrator and the engineer from the previous episodes, an engineer who was in charge of the disintegrator ray. 
Mm-hmm. That's a good job to have. Mm-hmm. Of course, the disintegrator itself is no longer of any use to them because they don't have the firing key anymore. Yes, I remember that was like a long cylindrical object, I believe. Right. Yeah, I think I think one sash took it from them because of the city administrator's insolence and not and wanting to wait for a command. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the city administrator has a new plan. And so he asks the engineer to ask all one sash to come meet the engineer in the disintegrator room. He says, <laughs> we must match cunning with cunning. Totally not suspicious. <laughs> what do you want to meet? Oh, I don't know. I was just thinking pff, off the top of my head, the disintegrator ray room. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that's not booked at the moment. Yes. <laughs> It shows up in the list of suggested rooms on my calendar. Uh-huh. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question, share your thoughts, or make fun of us, you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweet us at drwatcher. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. In the lab, the doctor is working on developing his theory of there being atropine poison in the water. Apparently, Ian has all the correct symptoms for atropine poisoning. There are a couple of scientists rights that are working with the doctor, and he wants them to, like, test the city's water. And they're like, oh, we kind of already did that. And so the doctor's like, oh, cool, cool. Let's do it again. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Pay attention, guys. <laughs> Very obviously the water. Uh-huh. Also, like, I know on this podcast we can get a little silly, but maybe we'll leave it up to the uh, the audience what jokes they want to make for themselves about um it it's called atropine isn't it yeah i i heard that correctly all right audience we'll, we'll leave that one up to you <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor thinks that it's pretty weird that only some people who drink the water get sick apparently the previous year it was about 2 sensorites out of every 10 this year it's gone up to about like three out of ten. And it turns out that there are ten districts in the city. So the doctor's like, you know, let's test some water samples from all ten districts. Yes. And from there, we get a montage. Oh boy. And we don't get a lot of montages on this show. But we do appreciate them. Absolutely. I feel like this is the first in quite a while. So I couldn't even tell you when we've done montages before. Yeah, I'm... You know, this might actually be the first montage of Doctor Who. I'm I can't not, remember if we did not one positive, for the, uh, the, the Keys of Marinus. 
I feel like there may have been a montage in there, but I don't know. I can't actually remember for sure. So during this montage, we get lots of shots of like the doctor pouring water from one test tube into another test tube. He's doing science. And then we get shots of like Ian getting increasingly sweaty and rolling around while Susan looks at him. He's doing sick. And uh, the doctor has these two scientists write assistants who are helping him do his science. More There's science. actually a few shots of like this large sheet of paper that they have. And <laughs> they have the words first district, second district, third, etc. Like through 10th district all written out in like longhand cursive. And they're like going through and checking them off as they test them all. Uh, even better. They are using their same longhand cursive to write out the word negative after the district number. Nice. So yeah, we got like first district negative second district negative. Nice. Also longhand cursive, keeping it classy. Yeah, totally. And so through the course of this montage, we are able to learn that the water in the 8th district is poisoned at the moment, thus confirming the doctor's theory. And also meaning that the doctor should be able to make a cure now that he's like confirmed what the issue is. Just the 8th district, though, not the ninth and 10th? You know, I think the montage ended once they found that the 8th district was bad. I don't think we actually saw them test the ninth or 10th. Yeah, because it was like, okay, if it's affecting 3 out of 10, and we've got 10 districts, assuming even population spread between those districts. Right. Yeah, it must also be 9 and 10. And I guess the doctor also, just quit early. How bad are these sensorites at testing water? Honestly, <laughs> use scientists rights, uh -huh. science rights. Oh, I like that. Uh, science rights. Yeah, you science rights need to uh, go back to go back to school. Nice. I guess though. I guess like the point of the doctor's lab work, or the main point of it, was just to confirm his theory that it was poisoning. So once they've found the poison in the 8th district, then, like, the theory's confirmed. I guess we don't necessarily need to continue to test the ninth and 10th. We used up all our montage budget. Right. So the second elder shows up in the disintegrator room for his meeting with the city administrator that the engineer engineered. Mm-hmm. I think I said earlier that he was going to meet with the engineer, but that was wrong. He's actually meeting with the city administrator. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> no audience, we probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as the second elder shows up in the disintegrator room, he is immediately grabbed and held in place by a couple of other sensorites. And the oh, city... The city administrator explains his theory to old one sash that Ian is faking being sick and the doctor is actually making a poison in the laboratory. It's like, dude, didn't you see how sweaty Ian was? <laughs> He's not normally that sweaty. 
So yeah, he but he maybe sensorites don't sweat or something, so they don't necessarily know how to judge. I don't know. Is that normal <laughs> for a human? Because <laughs> yeah, he still thinks that Ian is going to pretend to get better after the doctor like pretends to give him the cure, and then the doctor will use this poison that he's generated in the lab to just go kill all of the sensorites under the guise of curing them. Nice how the steps that this person has like concocted exactly match just long enough the steps to actually cure the poison if it's a poison. <laughs> uh-huh. So while old one sash is like being held in place under duress, the city administrator goes over to him and actually removes the second elder's sash and puts it on himself, vowing to stop the doctor's work. He says, The second elder will suppress it. But the second elder doesn't quite get it yet. He's like, I will not. (laughs) And the city administrator is just like, I wear your sash of office. Who is to know that I am not the second elder now? We really do all look the same. (laughs) They did get a line in there at some point in the episode about how, like, only the high-ranking sensorites ever have really, like, met and worked closely with the various elders. And, like, most of the sensorites don't really necessarily know, like, what the first elder or the second elder would look like. And so they actually do just look for their sashes. Okay, okay. It, they're they're trying. Yeah. So the doctor has you know been doing his lab work, and he meets with the scienceite who has now finished synthesizing like the first batch or the first dose of the cure. So the doctor asks the sensorite to like go ahead and make a lot more of it now, and in the meantime. Let's send this vial back to Susan and Ian. Yeah. I mean, let's let's uh, keep doing those steps that the other sensorite, I guess our new one sash, laid out for us. Because mm-hmm. um, either way, whether it's a cure or poison, you got to follow the same steps. Right. Yeah. Damn that anti-vaxxer logic. <laughs> Ian's either got to be actually cured or pretend to be cured. Yeah. So scientists, this is why you got to keep your grandparents off Facebook. <laughs> scientists heads off to take care of that. And meanwhile, we pan over to like the other part of the lab where John still is. And John's actually doing much better now. And Carol's there with him. She says that he's more coherent. But it's as if he was living in a dream world where he's surrounded by enemies. Yeah, again, stay stay off the Facebook there, bud. Uh Uh-huh. John kind of agrees with this assessment, though. He says... Enemies. Yes. Making plots. Uh, to be fair, I think in his case, though, all joking aside, he really is surrounded by enemies making plots. Yeah. Yeah, I watched this movie, like, years and years ago that starred Patrick Stewart as, like, a this old man who, at the start of the movie, we don't know 
if he's actually like formerly a secret agent or if he's like going senile and kind of losing his mind and believes that he's formerly a secret agent. Mm. And yeah, I won't spoil it. I think the movie's called Safe House, but but I will just say that sometimes people who are paranoid actually have good reason to be paranoid. Not always, but sometimes. You never know, do you? The doctor knows this, and he thinks that John might be more coherent than Carol realizes. So he oh, tells good. Carol to like listen to John carefully. But he also says that he is going to go off on an expedition. He is curious why the poison only seems to show up in one district at a time. So I guess that implies that they did go on to test nine and 10 and it was just district eight. Okay. Okay. So he wants to try to stamp out the cause of the poison. You know, why should we just like just cure people who already got sick when we can just prevent it in the first place? Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to find the uh, the first uh, elder, our scientist rather, and we are going off on an exploration. It isn't dangerous, of course. But when I have solved my problem, I'm sure we shall all be out of trouble. Yep, science should fix all our problems. Yep. We cut back to the engineer, who is kind of worried that the city administrator's one-sash disguise is not going to hold up. I guess this is the point of the episode where we get the dialogue about, like, most of the sensorites don't know what the elders look like. Okay. And at this point, the science-sorite walks past and he's like, oh, hey, second elder, what's up? <laughs> and engineer's just like, oh, sweet, it worked. Yes. It turns out this is the science-sorite who is delivering the antidote to Susan and Ian. Convenient. Uh huh. So, city administrator slash one sash is just like, uh, give it to me. I'll take care of it. You can head back to your laboratory and work some more. Yep. So, once the scientist has left the scene, the city administrator tells the engineer that he's going to prove that Ian is faking it. By, like, not giving him the antidote, basically, because obviously if Ian is faking it and he doesn't get the antidote, he's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. So he's going to prove that Ian's faking and the doctor's going to poison the sensorites. He's like, Man, I'm not going to let you poison me. I threw it on the ground. You must think I'm a joke. I ain't going to be part of this system. Man, that garbage in another man's face. <laughs> uh huh. Yes, we, we like that reference here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a pretty good call. I mean, like the, the throwing on the ground part, maybe not, because he should save it. You know, just on the off chance that he's not faking the the poison. Oh, that would have but, been a good idea. Giving him a giving him a fake cure and then having him pretend to get better would be a pretty good proof. And then yeah. having the actual cure, just in case he doesn't actually get better, would be a sensible plan B. Or, you know, even if it turns out that he's right and, like, the doctor is going to poison them all, 
then like if you don't give Ian the fake cure and Ian doesn't die, you still might want to like have it as a sample of the poison that the doctor's going to use to poison all the sensorites. Oh, that too. That too. We get a brief scene where Susan wonders why the antidote hasn't arrived yet. And Ian's just like, you know, sometimes these things take time, Susan. Like, not even the doctor can save the day, like, every single time. Mm-hmm. She wants to find out what the holdup is. So the first elder agrees to have her escorted to the laboratory. Meanwhile, the doctor and a scienceerite have arrived at the entrance to the aqueduct. Which is a, you know, basically just like a bunch of big pipes and ducts and stuff. So they're not going to wait and see if the the cure works on Ian first? Um, No, the doctor's confident. (laughs) Of course he is. (laughs) Why did I even ask? So they they arrive. The doctor's like... It's very gloomy. And the scientist is like, yeah, I mean, like, whenever we try to light it here, it fails for some reason. So Doctor's like, oh, man, I bet you folks all hate that. Like, you hate the dark, right? And the scientist is like, yeah, totally. We fucking hate the aqueduct. Like, we don't even really have any reason to ever come here. Shall we? <laughs> so, so if anything suspicious were to happen here, we would never know uh-huh. about it. Shall we return now? And the Doctor's like, fuck that. I didn't come here just to look at the entrance. I'm going to go inside. But, of course, the sensorite is like, oh, shit, don't do that. It's really fucking scary in there. Apparently, there are monsters inside the aqueduct that the sensorites have never seen these monsters, but they have heard the terrible noises that the monsters make. Doctor's just like, dude, look, you can get your scared little sensor ass back to the city no That's worries, right. I'll take care of this myself. You censored tell him. So the censorite G's TFO. Mm-hmm. And once the doctor is alone, he says, How very convenient. Yes, noise and darkness. The two things the censorites dislike. There's more in this than meets the eye. Good thinking, Doctor. And he turns on his flashlight and heads into the aqueduct. Cool. Susan has, like, off-camera gone to the laboratory and come back with an antidote where she, like, gives Ian an injection. Oh, I didn't think that would actually work. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't get to see her, like, getting it. We just saw she has it now. None of them really know why the second elder and the sciencerite never showed up with Ian's antidote, but Susan was able to find some more in the lab. Mm-hmm. A moment later, the sciencerite shows up in the reception room, and all two sashes is like, dude, what the fuck? I asked for regular reports, and you haven't been giving them. Yeah, dude. Come on, this is, this is going on your end-of-year review. The scientist is just like, yeah, that's because the doctor made me take him to the aqueduct. It was scary. Yeah, first elder is like, did you tell him that it's really fucking scary? (laughs) (laughs) 
scientist is like, yeah, he didn't care. He went anyway. He's either oblivious and an asshole or a total badass. And <laughs> Ian and Susan are like, uh, may we make a suggestion as to which of those it might be? Uh-huh. Ian and Susan, of course, like hear this conversation and they hear that there are monsters in the aqueduct. So they decide that they'd better go rescue the doctor. First Elder, of course, is like, no, seriously, it's really scary there. <laughs> but they insist. So the Sciencerite leads them out of the room. And the First Elder says, either to himself or to the camera operator. These people have fine qualities. The Second Elder and I have misjudged them. And I will tell him so. And he pulls out his brain stethoscope. But the second elder is just leaving him on red. <laughs> Over in the disintegrator room, we have like the actual real second elder, who of course is not wearing his one sash. He's tied up in a chair while the city administrator wears the sash. Kyle, Kyle, come on. We all know that the person who wears one sash must be the second administrator. So clearly, why are you even telling us? Why are you trying to convince us that this is the second administrator and he's not wearing the sash? We, we know better, Kyle. Come on. Yeah, clearly. Give us, give us some credit. <laughs> so, but the actual second elder hears the telepathic thoughts that the first elder is sending. And like an idiot, he says... I hear you, sir. I hear you. Out loud. Hmm. And so the city administrator, right there in the same fucking room, <laughs> is like, oh, cool, the first elder's brain stethoscoping at you. What does he say? <laughs> and second elder is like, give me my brain stethoscope back. And the city administrator is like, do you think I'm a fool? You can hear, but you cannot speak your mind without this. What is he saying to you? Do you remember what the name of the actual brain stethoscope is? Is it some cool science-y sci-fi word? Um, thought transmitter, I believe. Cool. I mean, you know, a little, a little obvious, but I'll take it. Yeah. We get a little bit of dialogue in here that indicates that apparently the city administrator also has the second elder's family unit being held hostage. Oh, bummer. Yeah, we never, like, get to see that or anything. Like, it's just referred to in dialogue a few times. But, you know, there are a couple of times that the second elder doesn't want to do what the city administrator says. And the city administrator's just like, you know, remember your family unit. I've got them, and whatever. Jeez, this guy's a dick. So, yeah, he's even, like, given the doctor a run for his money. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. So it turns out that the first elder is telling the second elder that the doctor went to the aqueduct, even though it was really scary, and that Ian and Susan went to go save him, again, even though it's really scary. So old two sashes thinks that they have misjudged the humans. And they're not afraid of the darkness or of loud noises. Because <laughs> badasses. And then the, the second elder says, 
is asking why I don't reply. You know, first elder is all sad that like second elder is not <laughs> not there? texting him Hello? back. Basically, are you getting these? <laughs> Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I can't hear you. <laughs> Type in chat. <laughs> oh, let me check my mic settings. Okay, I think I've got it. But the city administrator, when he learns about everyone going to the aqueduct, he's just delighted. He says, No one. No one can come out of the aqueduct alive. The one known as the doctor is near death. The other two approach death. I see victory for all my plans. <laughs> my evil nefarious plans. <laughs> I really love like how dedicated all of the sensorites are to how scary the aqueduct is, though. Like yes. even the city administrator is like, oh, the aqueduct, sweet. Like you go there, you're just going to die no matter what. It's fucked up. <laughs> yes. The the science sorite drops Ian and Susan off at the aqueduct entrance and they head inside with a flashlight. And meanwhile, we cut to deeper inside the aqueduct where the doctor seems to have found what he's looking for. He is like crouching down onto the ground next to some of the pipes and he's examining some stuff that he finds on the ground, saying, Yes, I thought so. Atropa Belladonna. Deadly Nightshade. And with that, he hears this weird roar or growl type noise. And the title's next episode, Kidnap, appear on screen. <laughs> well, I think we know what's going to happen in that one. <laughs> okay, well, um... This, this episode's, you know, this serial is, is, is moving along, bouncing along. Yeah. The, the plot's a little, I don't know, I feel like for a, for a kid's show, it seems, seems all right. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think, you know, they're, they're not making it too complicated for the 10-year-old, but they're also, like, not making it too boring and straightforward for the 10-year-old's parents. <laughs> yes, and I, I, I do hope that it's entertaining for you watching these because you don't have the benefit of somebody watching it for you and telling you about it in an uh, <laughs> amusing and entertaining way. Well, I guess I am saving my judgment on the serial as a whole for until we get to the end of it. But Of course, of course. I did watch the the next couple of episodes yesterday, so... Looking forward to talking about those coming up in a few weeks. Cool. Well, we've got something something roaring at the doctor, and he's going to get kidnapped. So seems seems promising so far. And I I guess 
the our heroes won their race against death. They synthesized the cure and got it to Ian before he died. Yes, good job. In uh, both a unnecessarily difficult and ultimately nevertheless surprisingly easy uh, race <laughs> against death. Uh-huh. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, any any particularly entertaining um, like costumes or set pieces or props or anything in this episode? Because I feel like there's a lot of science going on. Uh, I mean, we do get a few good looks at the laboratory and, you know, obviously we had the science montage. You can never go wrong with a good science montage. Yes. Especially when, like, tracking the results involves long-form cursive. <laughs> Writ- written extra big so that you can read it on your old black-and-white TV set. Right. On, you know, a sheet of paper that's probably, like, 11 by 14 or whatever. Yes. I guess our aqueduct set is new. Uh, you know, like I said, that's kind of a this setup with like some pipes and ducts and whatnot. We see a few different places in the aqueduct, and I was not entirely sure whether they were actually different sets or if it's just the same set location, you know, kind of rearranged and lit from a different angle or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I wonder you know, if there's even a monster. I think it's interesting that we don't see it and gives them another week or, or however long to uh, create a costume slash right. pop for it. Yeah, I think coming up with the sound effects is probably much quicker and cheaper than yes. the visual effects. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, it was it was pretty entertaining. And as I've been watching more and more of the Sensorite episodes, mm-hmm. I actually am starting to see like some of the differences in their costuming mainly just in like kind of head shape and size you know like they're pretty subtle differences but like once you've seen them a lot you actually kind of can start to tell them apart aside (laughs) from just their sashes good to know (laughs) i had assumed that they were all like you know more or less the same mold you know for the mask but even then, I guess that it has to fit over the actor's head. So yeah, and they've got like this kind of weird sort of beard hair stuff mm-hmm. that's kind of a little bit different on each one and stuff. So oh, cool, cool. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, cool. All right. Well, I guess that we'll see um, who or what is kidnapping the doctor in. Um, well, for listeners, in about two weeks, and for us. Whenever we record next. Sounds like a good plan. All right. Well, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Hi, Benny here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Kyle for talking to me about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to me listening to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at Doctor Watcher. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. I must warn the first elder. No. No. Evil is here. He cannot hear you. Your mind is closed by the machine. Your voice is not believed. You are my enemy. I am the enemy of all earth creatures. And any sense of right who befriends them shall be swept away. I must warn them of your evil. I must. I must. Your brain is too weak to harm me.